We've been talking about Jacob. We've been kind of making a study of Jacob's life from the Old Testament. And uh, man, I, I love his story. I love the I love the story of Jacob because like all the Old Testament saints or New Testament saints for that matter, none of them are perfect, but they're all used by God. Amen? Um, that gives me great hope, right? Because uh, I am not perfect, then, but there's real hope that God can, can use me. I can be part of his redemption. Um, we've been talking about, uh, about we've, been, uh, we've entitled the series 180, and, and we've been talking about the, the fact that, you know, God didn't just save us and then, like, make, make us uh, out of, like, peach preserves and wait till glory to open us up and then, hey, now, finally change. Uh, no, it's not like that, is it? He, he, he saves us, and, and then as part of the salvation, as part of what he's doing, he starts changing our lives. He starts changing our character. He starts changing us. Uh, for who we are. The, the, the scholars, um, um, what do you call them, theologians call this process sanctification. It's a process by which we're, we're changed. I was talking actually to Jamie about this yesterday. He likes the term better, conformity, which actually is probably better. Um, it basically means is that we start to live out what's happened in our lives. We start to become who Jesus Christ has made us to be. Um, let, me, let me give you an example. So, so um, we come to the cross, and we believe that through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of his death and because of, of his dying and his death and his suffering and his resurrection, that I am no longer under the pain of guilt or shame anymore. I've been freed from that. Amen? And you too, if you are in the Lord Jesus Christ, we believe that his sacrifice was so great and so sufficient, there is no longer any guilt or shame for us left. There is no condemnation, Paul would declare to the letter in his letter to the, the Romans. There is no longer any condemnation left for us. And so the effect that it has in my life is that whenever the devil comes along and whispers in my ear about how unworthy I am, Whenever the devil comes along, whenever in my own thoughts, in my own fallen nature, I begin to think that I'm not worthy, I'm not, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm a fraud, I'm not really who, who I ought to be, and all of those things really are true. But the other side of the truth is in that Jesus' blood was more powerful than all of my sin. Amen? His grace is greater. His sacrifice was larger. His, the effect of his blood and his cleansing in me is greater than, as the, as the as hymn declares, greater than all my sin and all your sin. And we have freedom in him. Amen? Amen? So, so there's, there's kind of this process where the day, that the moment that you came to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that his salvation was for you, that his sacrifice was for you, the moment that happened, you and I were justified before God. It was made as though we had never sinned before him. Yet in our lives, we often struggle with doubt and with shame and in thinking that, oh, I'm such a sinful creature, or I'm so unworthy of God, what God's done. The process of sanctification or the process of conformity is, Lord, take what's true in my faith. Take what's true in my mind and help me to live it out in my life and to declare over and over again to preach the gospel to myself but God's grace and Jesus' sacrifice is greater still. Amen? We started this by talking about um, that, that great quote from John Newton, I am a great Savior, but Christ is a greater Savior. Amen? And listen, we all need to see the gospel with its clothes on in our lives. This is not just some intellectual ascent. You know, what we've come to believe about Jesus Christ 
changes our lives in every regard, in every aspect. It changes who you are as a person. It changes who you are as a husband. It changes who you are as a wife. It changes who you are as a parent. It changes who you are as a worker in your workplace. It changes who you are as a friend. It changes every avenue of your life. Amen? That is the effect of the gospel, that we are not sitting around just waiting until heaven. We're not sitting around waiting till Jesus returns to be changed. His change is happening in us now. Amen? His power is so great. The Holy Spirit at work in us is so powerful that, that God is making in us a 180-degree change over and over and over again. Amen? Uh, matter of fact, I, I, I talked to some of the some some of the brothers here. I'm I'm working with some guys and doing a little bit of um, discipleship training, some some pastoral care training, and and uh, I asked them to write me a note about some about the effect of, about a change in their life that that the Lord Jesus Christ has made. So I wrote I took their loaders up and I I posted it on that on that board behind you. Y'all can read that after the service. Also one of mine, uh, but some some powerful things, some some powerful things that the Lord Jesus Christ has done. If you would like, also there are some extra yellow sheets over there on the back table. If you would like to write about a 180 degree difference that the Lord has made in your life, uh, that's on the back table. If you would like to write just a testimony about the change in your life that the Lord Jesus Christ, or a change that the Lord Jesus Christ has made in your life, if you'd like to write that and post it on the board there too, that's just a wall of testimony that, that the Lord is working and he is moving and he is saving all of our lives. Amen? I mean, that's the effect. Okay, so let's get on. Let's, uh, I need to jump to the text here. So Genesis, let's talk a little bit about Jacob. Jacob, you remember, was a twin. He had a brother named, you're so smart, that's good. He had a brother named Esau, and when he was born, Esau was born first, but when he came out of the womb, Jacob was what? Grasping his brother's heel, right? A, a, a symbolism, right, for being a deceiver, right? A, 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 someone who'd trip you up, someone who'd scheme you. Um, sure enough, um, that's who Jacob is. He's a schemer, and very first thing, uh, very, very early on, one of the very first things he does is he schemes his brother out of his birthright. You remember the story. And then later on, as he, as he goes on, he deceives his, his own father. He deceives his own father, um, and his own father Isaac, and he stole uh, Esau's blessing from his father. Um, and then there was a lot of turmoil in the house, and Esau was determined. He said, I'll kill him the next time I see him. And so at that same time, um, Isaac and Rebekah t- spoke, um, spoke to Jacob, and they said, you need to find a wife, but you don't need to find a wife here. You need to go back up to the country of your mother, uh, north of the Euphrates, in, in the, into an area called Padan Haram, and you need to find a wife there. And so he takes really probably the first trip ever of his life, ever by himself probably. And, and as he prepares to go, as he very first goes, and he very first tra- travels out of the country, one of the first things that happens is he lays his head down on a very comfortable pillow that they used to use back then, a rock, right? And he has a dream, right? This is a story of Jacob's ladder or, or stairs, really. It's a, it's a story of, of God who comes to Jacob and, and basically declaring to, to, to Jacob, the promises that I made to your grandfather and the promises I made to your father, I now, I now give those promises as an inheritance to you. Now your descendants will be numerous as the, as the sands. Now, you, you, now through you, all nations will be blessed and all those promises and all those covenants would be his and he promises him and I will go with you you on this journey. And Jacob um, does something, and I think we all do, especially when we're young and we grow up maybe in a Christian household. He doesn't immediately say, okay, you can be my God. Instead, he says, if you'll be with me, if 
you'll clothe me, if you'll feed me, if you'll make sure that I, that I, that I basically, right, don't die out here, if you'll watch over me, if you'll go with me on my journey, then he says, then I'll come back to this place that he, that he came to, to call Bethel, the house of God. He says, I'll come back to this place and I will worship you here. And then you will be my God. Let me, let me tell you, uh, those of you, how many of you, uh, how about all you youths? We got a, a bunch of you guys right here. How many of you grew up in a Christian household? Yeah, a, a bunch of us, right? Grew up in a Christian household. There comes a time in every life where we all have to make a decision. Will, will, will the God that I grew up with, will he be my God or will I go another way? Will I come to believe in him the way my parents have or will I go my own way? And there's a time, and God leads us all, I think, through this process where we all kind of have to take this journey really on our own and we all have to come to the decision and the conclusion that either, yes, I trust him and I'll follow him or no, I'm going to go a different way. For some of us, it takes a little longer to convince than others, right? Some of us are a little more stubborn than others of us. True? Yes, even probably some of you right here in this room would say, it took me years to come back to the God that I knew. Yeah? It took me years to come back to the, to the God that I knew as a child, the one I'd been introduced to as a child and, and finally came back to later on in my life. That happens sometimes with some folks. Um, maybe it's stubbornness, maybe it's just God's plan, I don't know. But that's, that's kind of how, how it works. But I think it's the same for all of us. Is we all kind of have to go on a journey on our own. We all have to come to the conclusion that, yes, he is my God. Or he's not. Or we, we follow him, or we decide not to follow him. I love this story. I love this story for youth in particular. I, I love this story because what it tells us is it is up to you to make a decision. It is up to you to go on the journey. It is up to you whenever you're going through, through struggle and fear and the, and the hardships of what it is to, you know, to start acting like and being adult and all the fears that that brings about whether or not you're going to trust God or whether you're going to trust yourself. And I think that's really the story of Jacob. So let's continue. Um, so, so what happens, Jacob goes and he goes off and he gets married. He goes off and he works um, for a, a couple of wives, actually. He works and he marries R- Rebecca and Leah. Uh, I'm sorry, Rachel and Leah, and he, he gets married. And then after a period of about 20 years now has elapsed in, his, in, the, in this time, he starts to return now to his homeland. And God calls him, and God, God shows up to him several times, and he, and he, and he tells him, to, it's time to go back home. It's time to go back to the land that you're from. Well, very first thing, and what we're going to read this morning is the very first thing, as he travels back through the country, as he travels back from north of the Euphrates back to the land of Canaan, and one of the very first places he's going to go, going to go is where he, his brother Esau lives. Now, you remember 20 years prior, Esau was determined that the next time he saw Jacob, he was going to kill him. Now, Jacob is afraid. He's afraid that now he's, you know, he knows that he's done wrong. He knows that he's stolen, that he's schemed, that he's deceived his brother, that he's deceived his father and his, son, and his brother suffered for it. He knows that he's done wrong, and he's afraid to go before Esau. And so being the mighty man of God he is, this is one of my favorite stories in, in the Old Testament just because it's funny. He, he loads up herds of, of, of animals, and he sends them in front of his family, in front of his clan, in front of his own herds, and, and, in preparation to make, to make a gift to his brother, you know, a, 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 a bury the hatchet kind of a gift. You know, take these as a gift, and maybe thinking that maybe this would buy the favor of his brother Esau, and maybe Esau won't want to kill him. And so he sends out herds as gifts before him, and then he sends out the rest of his flocks, and then he sends out... Um, his household, and he sends out his wives, and he puts the women and the children in front of him boldly as the great man that he was, right, in front of him. And then he waits on the other side of the river, and he camps there that night. 
Well, this night, here again, here Jacob is afraid, right? And we talked about this a little bit. One of the things why he's always scheming, one of the things that he's always trying to deceive, he's always trying to get his own way, he's trying to make sure he's always the one taking care of, is because he's, like us all, he's probably got some, he's a little insecure, he's, a, he's afraid. He's going to be out on his own, he's going to be out by himself for the first time probably ever, and he's afraid, and so he's scheming and deceiving and striving to make sure that he's taken care of, Right? Um, well, that night, the Lord will appear to him again. And this is, I think, this is one of the most interesting and yet confounding passages, I think, in all of Scripture. You know, if, if, seriously, if you met someone who told this story that, yeah, well, last night I was wrestling with God, and then, you know, we'd all like, oh, well, you know, call the paddy wagon. This person's schizophrenic or something. They're having some sort of, some sort of issue. Um, but it, it's, a, it's a really strange, really bizarre story. But, but what it is... It's, it's God trying to show Jacob what his plan and his intention with him has been all along. So, so read along with me this strange story. So, so here he's already sent the flocks. He's already sent his household. He's already sent his wives out ahead of him to march back towards his homeland. And then he's staying the night here in the camp before he gets up and leaves the next morning, maybe a little bit of cold feet before he has to face his brother Esau. Um, so start with me in, in Genesis chapter 32. Let's read uh, starting in verse 22. We'll read through 26, and then we'll pick up the rest of the chapter. So Genesis 32, starting in verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of, of the Jabbok. After he sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob l- was left alone. And here we go. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that the, his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. All right, so let's, let's pause there for just a moment and talk about just this very odd um, account of what's happened in the life of Jacob. Okay, so as as Jacob's spending the night in the camp there by himself, after he's, he's had everyone else go off, he's, sta- he's there, and it just says, just out of the blue here, it just says, a man wrestled with him till daybreak. I mean, there's no, we don't know the original, you know, like, God shows up there and, hey, you, you know, tough guy. You know, there's none of that. We don't really know what happens, but somehow God shows up there and begins to wrestle with him. We, we believe that this is maybe a... Um, a pre-incarnate um, uh, 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 Jesus Christ, right? It was the representation of God. Some say may, perhaps an angel. Some say perhaps this was um, God himself in a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Uh, that's what I typically think. I, uh, but anyway, so, um, but anyway, God there wrestles with him. And we, we think that's, that's the case because um, of, what, of what Jacob would say later in verse 30. I saw God face-to-face. Okay, so, so going back here, so here's what happens. So they're wrestling, and, and, and who starts the wrestling here? It's apparently God starts to wrestle with Jacob. And no, notice what it says here. When the man saw, this is God, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, Jacob, he, God, touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with him. That's kind of an interesting statement. First, it says that it, he, God, could not overpower him. And then it says, then he touched the socket of his hip and he threw it out of joint. That, that's kind of funny, isn't it? First it says he couldn't overpower him, and then he says with just a ch- t- touch, he disabled him. Pretty incredible, isn't it? This is, I think, this is an important thing that we know about God, is that God is always restraining himself, right? God is always, on our behalf, he is restraining himself. Like, for example, um, 
the wages of sin is death. God could have, the moment that we sin, he could have rained down fury upon the earth and destroyed us all, and he would have been right to do so. True? Yes. So, as a matter of fact, the fact that any of us continue to live and that he's brought salvation to anyone is his restraint of his power and his, and his holiness and, in, and, a, and a testimony to his grace. Amen? Uh, and a testimony to his grace. So here also with Jacob, he's showing great restraint because he has the power with a touch to break his hip socket, to, to throw his hip out of, out, of, out of joint. He's got the power, the ability with just a touch, but in his restrained power, he's restraining himself from being able to wrestle with him as a god, and he wrestles with him instead like a man. And in, 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 the, in, the, in the shape of a man, he's unable to overcome him, but as God, he's able to just with a touch overpower him uh, and disable him with a touch of his finger. This is, I think this is important for, for you to get here. God willingly wrestles with Jacob when all along he could have touched him anywhere he wanted to and completely overpowered him. This is important for us to, to kind of get about God. God's desire, however, is not to overpower us. He can he is able. Matter of fact, he is, he is sovereign. He is able in, in always to overcome us. He is able in always to overpower us, right? But he restrains himself. He, he constrains his own power. He constrains his own authority. And patiently, he wrestles with Jacob. It, it's true of us too, isn't it? Patiently, see, see you, you, may, we, you know that, that story we're talking about where maybe you were introduced to, to Christ as a very early age and yet you didn't follow him for years later. What was happening in the meantime? God was patient with you, right? He was waiting for you. He could have at any time, he could have, he could have twisted your arm behind your back and said to you, submit, and we would have had no choice. Right? That is the all-powerful God. He is able to do that, but thank God. He, the God that we know from the Scriptures, He is patient with us, and He waits for us. See, very back in the beginning, when, when He showed up to Jacob, and, Jake, Jake, and He told Jacob, I will be your God, and Jacob said, eh, if you'll do these things, then you can be my God. You see how ridiculous it is, right? See, God could have God just said, you know what? I've had it with you, Jacob, and smush him like a bug, Right? I've had it with you. I'm going to go get Esau, and I'm going to pass on the promise to him. But that's not who he is. In patience, he says, Jacob, I'll go along the journey with you. And he provides him food, and he provides him shelter, and he provides him flock. And in fact, he, you know, his household grows so much in 20 years that when he moves, it's like a caravan of people. Talk about a guy having food and shelter and, and, and clothing. He's got everything and more than he needs because God has blessed him incredibly. And here he wrestles with him again in patience, waiting for Jacob to come around, waiting for Jacob to look to him and say, I trust you. And so here we have it. So at any time, at any time, we believe that, that God could have done these things. So, so what's God doing here? I think a couple of things. One is, is that God is revealing to Jacob that he was a source of all Jacob's success and not Jacob's own striving. You see, what God was trying to demonstrate here is that he has all control. He has all authority. He has all power. And the reason that Jacob has succeeded is not because Jacob schemed and stolen and deceived. The reason he succeeded is because this God who has ultimate authority and control and power has allowed it to happen. He's blessed Jacob. 
And he's demonstrating here by saying, see what I could do? I can touch your hip and I could throw it down a joint. Or I can be patient and I can wrestle with you. But that's just a demonstration. It's a symbolism. It's a, it's a shadowing of, of, of God's patience with Jacob in wrestling with him. Okay. He's revealing to Jacob he was the source, the source of all his success. Um, let's see. Let's, uh, let me hit one more. Um, so, so this idea about God's patience. So God does not want to overpower us. Let's, have we shown that side yet, Jason? So God doesn't want to overpower us. He wants us to yield to him. So, so what he's doing here ultimately is he's wrestling with Jacob and he's telling Jacob, I want you to submit. I want you to, I want you to show that you trust me. I want you to show that I'm, that I'm trustworthy. Not just that Jacob would, would respond to God's authority, which God certainly has authority over Jacob, and it would be right for Jacob to submit to his authority, but God wants wanted to be trusted by Jacob. He wanted to be loved by Jacob. Yeah. You with me? You following me? All right. He wanted to be loved by Jacob. He wanted to be trusted by him. So, you know, God very easily could have just, you know, could have just disassembled Jacob if he wanted to. But instead, in patience, he wrestles with him and he shows him, I've been patient with you, but I am the one who is in control. And he waits, and he waits for, for Jacob to yield with him. He waits for him to willingly submit, not only to his authority, but also to submit in, in trust to who God is. Um, and uh, and so, so let's, let's, let me talk about this for just a minute. So let, let me finish reading this account, and then we're going to jump to Genesis 35. Verse 27, please, of, of, uh, of chapter 32. Then the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. What's Jacob mean? Deceiver, supplanter, yes. Yeah, very good. Yeah, my name is Deceiver. My name is, my name is Surplanter, he answered. Then, in verse 28, the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask me my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. So Israel means he struggles with God, and Peniel means face of God. All right, so here we, here we have the deal. Here we have this moment. And so here we've been reading about the story of Jacob. And Jacob, you know, he goes to his, his uncle Laban, and he's trying to deceive and, and trick and scheme Laban out of his flock. And Laban, his uncle, is trying to do the same to him. So all the time, all this journey, he's been a deceiver. He's trying to take care of himself. He's striving. He's working. He's trying to, to make things happen to take care of himself. And he's been a deceiver. And now he's wrestled with God, and God has demonstrated both his patience and his power over Jacob. And at that moment, he says, your name is no longer deceiver. You are now the one who wrestles with God. You see, this is, this is really like a foreshadowing, isn't it, about what happens in the Christian life, right? This is going to be the 180-degree moment in Jacob's life. This is going to be the time that he turns from, from being self-dependent and of working and striving and worrying about how he's going to provide for himself to the time that he comes and he learns that God can be trusted. Amen? This is the 180-degree change in, in Jacob's life. And, and at that change, he's, he's becoming a new creature. You see, that old nature that was striving and fighting and wrestling against God, that old nature is being put down. That deceiver is being 
put down, and a new nature is coming as God develops this in the life of Jacob. And he says, now you're the one who struggles with, or wrestles, struggles with God. You're the one who perseveres with me. You're, you're the one who contends with me. Uh, and, and, and he gives him uh, a new name. This is not unlike what happens with us, right? When we come to the Lord Jesus Christ and he begins to make changes, and we wonder in the beginning, is he, is he, really, is he, is he really trustworthy? Can I really trust him with my life? And in the end, he wrestles with us. He's patient with us. He waits for us to come and to submit and to yield our, our will to him and say, yes, I trust you. Okay, now here's, here's the deal. Th- this is hard. What I just described about that 180-degree turn between self-reliance and, and learning to depend on God is difficult. And let me tell you what I mean. There may have been a time at your conversion that you said, I thought I could be good enough. I thought I could rely on myself to be good enough to, to earn God's favor, to get into heaven, whatever, however you thought about it. But now I've learned I have to what? Trust Jesus Christ with that. Okay. Then a few years later, something came up in your life, right? A few years later, you know, you're, you're in a relationship with a man or a woman and they, and they broke off a, a very deep relationship with you. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're back in that same boat. Lord, this is not what I wanted. This is not what I wanted. This is not where I wanted to head. This is, this is not my dream. What I, well, I dreamed with a future with this man or a future with this woman, right? And then God says, do you trust me? And ultimately, what do we do is we, we wrestle with him and we fight with him and we argue with him. This is not, you've got to change this. This can't be the way that you meant it to be. And we wrestle and we argue and we strive with God and he patiently waits until we come out on the other end and say, ah, I forgot. I can trust you, right? Let me tell you just real quickly um, the story with Bryn and I. Bryn and I, as you know, we have uh, Rebecca, who's our middle child, who was born with cerebral palsy. Bryn and I argued and struggled and wrestled with God for years over Rebecca's healing. We prayed. We, matter of fact, right here, we, we wore this carpet out right here, um, um, kneeling before God, asking him, this is not what we had in mind. I, I don't want to see my daughter struggle like this. And, and we wrestled with God in prayer, and we just kept praying over and again, this can't be your will for her. It's not our will. God, over a period of time, began to show us that this was his will. And instead of healing for her physical body, he would do incredible things through her spiritual life. He would do incredible things by, by deepening our relationship with him and, and telling us and teaching us that in the moment of that struggle to say, Lord, I can't do this, where he could step in and say, I can do it through you. I can be strong for you. I can show you. You can, you can lean on me and I will be your help over and over and over again. And I'm telling you, we struggled with that prayer. We struggled over and over again with that prayer for years, we kept saying. And, and at some point, you know, Brent and I, you know, we, we would sit together and we would pray together and we would cry together and we would say, what if this isn't his will? When do we stop praying for, for healing? That's hard. It, you know, the death of a dream is difficult. The death of a, of a view of the, the way that you want things is hard. And learning to trust God with that is difficult. But in the end, the question is, who do you trust? Do you trust him? 
Listen, things come up in our lives like this all the time. And matter of fact, you may have learned to trust God with your children. You may have learned to trust God with your marriage. You may have learned to trust God with, with your health issues, with something else. But something's always coming, isn't it? There's something always coming in our lives that is, that is, that is coming between us and where, where we're going to God and we're saying, I don't know if I can trust this. Surely this is not what you want from me. And we have to go to God and we have to ask him and we have to pray to him. He said, surely you'll change this. And sometimes he does. Sometimes he doesn't. Question this morning. Let me say, let me say this too. It's important to struggle with him. Right? Now, now men, we're terrible at this. Right? Something's bad and something's hard and, and we're, we kind of put on our very uh, stoic uh, nature, our very Spartan nature. And, eh, it, it is what it is. Listen, Listen, God does not mind wrestling with us. He does not mind striving with us. He does not mind um, answering those prayers. He doesn't mind when we come to him. Matter of fact, he wants us to come to him with the things that we want in our lives so that he can show us one of two things. Yes, I'll do it for you because I love for you. Or no, because I've got something better. Right? Do you trust him? Let me tell you, this changes Jacob's life. For years now, for 20 years, he's kind of been wandering around, growing his family and growing his flock and all that stuff. Um, this is his 180-degree moment. In Genesis now, chapter 35, look with me real quickly. We're going to finish this up in Genesis chapter 35. So 20 years it took Jacob to come to the point where he was ready to return to Bethel. And actually, God has to ask him several times, uh, Jacob, back. let's go back, back to Bethel, let's go back. Let's, let's go back. You, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be your God, and you're going to follow me. You're going to be my son. Okay, Genesis chapter 35. Let's just read verses 1 through 4, and then we'll finish uh, kind of the middle of the chapter. So verses 1 through 4. Then God said to Jacob, again here, Go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God, to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau 20 years prior. So Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, Get rid of all the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave, all, they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in, in their ears and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Let me pause there for just a moment. See, there's a time frame. The, the reason that these pe people had these, these, these false gods is because they were asking for help, right? Um, they, they were looking for them for help. They were looking to these idols to protect them. They were looking to these little idols to, to give them security over and over again. They were looking to them to save them, to help them, right? And now Jacob commands all of his household, there's only one who we should trust. There's only one who we should look to to save us. There's only one we should look to for protection. All the rest of this buried the junk, right? And there's only one that we should trust. Uh, yeah, that's important. Uh, we don't have a lot of time to go through that much more than that. But anyway, let's, we'll continue. Look with me, then jump down to verses 14 and 15. Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him, and he poured down a drink offering. He also poured oil on it. Jacob called the place where God had talked with him Bethel. And so after 20 years, Jacob comes back to the place where God had, 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 had um, appeared to him the very first time. And very first time, he, he worships God. And after 20 years of God looking after him and being with him and working with him, he says, now you're my God. Right? Okay, 
so let, how, do, how, do we, how do we, what do we do with this? What do we do with this teaching? Here, here's what it is, I think. You and I are always going through times in our lives that are going to assault our faith. We're always going to be going through something. There's always something around the corner that, we're going to, that God is going to ask you the question, are you going to trust me with this? Now listen, you may have trusted him for 45 things before this, but this one's hard. They're all hard, aren't they? But in the end, here's what we know. God is patient, and he is merciful, and he is powerful, and he is more able and in more in control of this situation than you and I are. So what choice do we have? Can you trust the Lord with this thing? Can you trust the Lord with the struggle that you're going through? Can you trust the Lord with the grief that you're feeling? Can you trust the Lord with the anxiety that you're feeling? Can you trust the Lord with your finances? Can you trust him in your marriage? Can you trust him with your children? The answer is yes, isn't it? I want to give us just a moment to respond to this, just like Jacob did, just just like he did to, to come to the altar of the Lord and to worship him there and to say, yes, Lord, I trust you and only you. And he declared it that day in Bethel with an offering in worship to the God um, who would be his God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, as we, um, as we come together this, this, uh, this morning, Father, we just wanna, I just want to ask for um, all of us, Lord God, who are going through difficult times, whether it be financial or with our children or in our marriages and our relationships, with our own health, Lord, with the health of a loved one, Lord God, whatever it is, uh, Lord, would you just show yourself again to be patient and merciful and yet powerful and able to work on our behalf? Lord, I pray for those folks here this morning who have been struggling, the people who you've, you've actually been bringing through a time of wrestling. You've been bringing through a time of, of struggling with you and, and, and because you're wanting and waiting to, to bring them into a greater and a deeper relationship with you. I pray this morning that they would come together today and that they would be able to lay it all down before you and say, yes, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. Now, would you just continue with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? I just want to ask you this morning, if you're going through something like that, if you've, if you've been struggling through something that you've been really wrestling with God about, about Lord, that, can this really be your will? Can, is this really what you, you have for me? Is this really what you want for me? I just want to ask you this morning, would you, would you this morning, would you surrender and say, yes, Lord, you've proven yourself to me before. I trust you. I just want to leave the altar open for you to do so many songs Listen to a thousand tongues But there is one That sounds above them all The Father's song The Father's love You sung it over me And for eternity it's written on my heart. Heaven's perfect.